Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. Our church's vision is to have a passion for God and compassion for people. We hope that the teachings in this podcast will encourage you as you seek to follow Christ and grow in your faith. Now, let's get into today's message. Well, good morning, Ritman Grace Brethren Church. How are we this morning? It's great to be here with you. My name is Clark. I'm the pastor here. As I always like to say, if we have not had a chance to meet yet, I would love to meet you after service. And many of you that I have met, I would love to see you out in the lobby afterwards, connect with you and see how you're doing. And like Dwayne mentioned earlier, uh, we'd love to pray for you in any way that we can. So take advantage of filling out those connect cards. Um, I don't know if any of you have been doing that John Piper Christmas devotional, but I've been doing it, and I just have to tell you, it is really, really good. If you haven't picked up one of those yet, we have them at our Next Steps table. So I just want to encourage you with that. And if you want to grab one, if you know somebody who is investigating Jesus and Christianity, that's a really good one to give them this time of year. So just want to encourage you with that as well. Well, I want to begin today by doing something a little bit different. I want to give you another important finance update. So financially speaking, as of right now, ready? All our goals have been met, right? So let's give ourselves a hand for that. We went 1,500 over our goal for foreign missions. And as you can see from the screen behind me, uh, church planting, we still need another $115 Uh, to meet this goal, but let me just say uh, thank you so much for those of you that are just faithfully uh, giving, supporting these ministries. Um, It's just amazing to see uh, the generosity of God's people. So as previously mentioned a couple weeks back when we were uh, given an update like this, uh, if we can hit all of our goals by the 24th, which I think it's safe to say we probably will, uh, we would like to take up a special uh, day of giving on Sunday, December 31st, the last day of this year, and we want that to go to the Pregnancy Care Center of Wayne County. And the reason why we want to do that is because the Bible says to stand up for those that cannot stand up for themselves. A lot of women can't do that, and uh, the unborn certainly cannot do that. So that's something that's near the heart of God, and that's something that we as a church kind of want to get behind and if we can show our financial financial generosity towards the Pregnancy Care Center of Wayne County, uh, then we want to take an opportunity uh, to bless them because they're doing the Lord's work. So great job, everybody. And remember, as I always like to say, your contributions help us change the world with the gospel. Well, back to our uh, Advent series. We are starting a brand new uh, Advent series today. And uh, just as like a thought exercise, just indulge me for a minute. I want you to imagine that you are an enemy of the United States, right? Just indulge me for a minute as a kind of a thought exercise. So you have information about uh, plans and strategies of the United States that we need to extract from you for the sake of national security, all right? So just track with me. We're going somewhere. There's a lot of ways that we can extract that information from you, but one of the most effective ways is quite simply darkness. The CIA actually calls this sensory deprivation. This is a real thing. You could Google it. Uh, And here's what they do. They would take you deep underground into a nuclear bunker where it's already very quiet and very dark. And they shut the door and they leave you there a few days, maybe even a week. Terrifying, right? If you really uh, 
if you're really a difficult person, then they might tie your hands and feet in some way, uh, immerse you into a tank filled with highly concentrated salt water. And they do that because it causes your body to float and to take away any experience of gravity. And so the CIA, uh, who actually has done this, the CIA interrogation manual describes the eventual results this way. Subjects progressively lose touch with reality and produce delusions, hallucinations, and other pathological effects. That's pretty terrifying stuff, isn't it? So why share that with you? The reason I share that with you is because darkness. That's why we're talking about darkness today. Darkness is powerful. And not only is it powerful, but darkness is disturbing. Darkness is disorienting, which is probably why the majority of us, I would say, my guess is we like our darkness in very small doses, right? Under our control, with a flashlight or with a light switch or a smartphone, we like to be in control of how and when we experience darkness. Because the reality is none of us can withstand sustained darkness. And yet in the beginning, as we read earlier in our scripture reading, um, there was total and complete and absolute darkness. The Bible says no light, no sound, there was no gravity, no visual horizon to orient which way is up, which way is down. Uh, there's nothing to give clarity uh, on what I am supposed to see, what I'm experiencing. How would I know which way I'm headed? Right? That's what the description we're given. So in the beginning, there was nothing, the Bible says, uh, but total and absolute darkness. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. I mean, can you just imagine the drama of that moment that took place in the creation account? The light switch just being flipped on in the universe, as it were. The chaos to order and the uh, confusion to clarity, light overcoming and overtaking the darkness. And then once light has been spoken into existence, what we see is the creative work of God cascading forward. We see sea and land, stars and planets, constellations, birds and fish, creatures, planets and trees, and ultimately the Garden of Eden, full of delights. And in that garden, a man and a woman created uniquely in the image of God, bearing his likeness, given by him the faculties of sense to enjoy the beauty of what he has created, uh, to begin to live and orient within it. But the problem, of course, is that sometimes we prefer the darkness over the light. Our first parents chose darkness over light, in fact, and they listened to another word. They listened to another voice, not the voice that had the power to bring the world into existence in the first place, but rather a voice that had only the capacity to tempt and to deceive. Not to create something out of nothing, but to subtly corrupt our perception of what has already been created. So we read in our Bibles that our first parents chose darkness over light, and as a result of that, their sin, they plunged all of creation back into darkness, back to confusion, back to disorder. And so as a result, our insight is darkened. 
We don't discern rightly. Our reason is darkened. We don't comprehend truth as we ought to. And our wills are darkened. We don't choose the right things. We do what we don't want to do. And our hearts are darkened. We don't love rightly. Our impulses are darkened. We don't instinctively default towards what is good, but rather, more often, we instinctively default towards what is destructive and evil and selfish. Merry Christmas, right? We are a darkened people living in a darkened world. And so I say all that because the solution is we need light. And the good news of the Christian gospel is that the light has come. The coming of Jesus Christ in the world is the dawn of a new day. The prophet Isaiah said, those living in darkness have seen a great, what's the word? Light. That's what we celebrate during Advent, the reality that the light has come. And this is a time to be reminded of a truth that we know, but we tend to forget. The mystery that God became man. And what a better biblical author to guide us in this season of Advent, of reflection, than the Apostle John. See, Luke is a historian, and the Apostle Paul is a systematic theologian, but John, John is an artist. And John paints pictures with his words, as we're going to see. John wants us to, he wants to evoke from us a feeling and a reflection and ultimately belief. John is the most imaginative and creative of the New Testament authors that we have in our Bibles. He wants to draw us into the majesty and the mystery of the incarnation, where God clothed himself in human flesh. So we're going to spend the next four weeks slowly and reflectively working our way through the prologue to John's gospel. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. So if the gospel of John, I've heard it said this way, if the gospel of John is a symphony, then this section that we're going to look at today is like the overture. This is the prelude that introduces all of the key themes that the symphony will return to and flesh out, no pun intended, in greater detail. So in a sense, when we grasp and when we understand what John is saying in this prologue, it makes us well prepared to understand all of the rest of his gospel, all of the rest that John is going to say about the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So without further ado, if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me this morning to the Gospel of John chapter 1. Uh, the Gospel of John chapter 1, if you want to follow along in those Bibles and the chairs that you're sitting in, you'll find it on page 750. And the way I want to structure our time together this morning is under three headings. If you're taking notes, you can write these down. But I want us to see today the need for the light, the power of the light, and then lastly, the source of the light. The need for the light, the power of the light, and the source of the light. And I'm going to guide us kind of backwards through the text, which sounds kind of funny, but uh, that's what we're doing. We're kind of working backwards this morning. So without further ado, let us break in at the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 5, which says this. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So I want us to notice that word overcome, which literally means to seize or to capture. It's a word that speaks of chasing something down. 
apprehending something, overtaking something. And this clues us into the need for the light. This is why we need light. Not merely because darkness exists, but because darkness threatens to overtake us. Darkness is not static. Darkness is active, John wants us to see. Darkness would seek to overtake the light, to overtake us. Because darkness is always on the move. We need light, not just because that there is darkness, but because darkness threatens to overtake us. So let me just give you some statistics about the reality of darkness. Because we live in a dark world, and I think a lot of us know that and understand that. But let me just share these uh, quick statistics with you. In the 20th century, 216 million people died in war and armed conflict. 100 years ago, only 1% of Americans had experienced depression by age 75, basically by the end of their life. But by 1990, almost 20% of the population experienced depression by age 40. In a recent study of moral convictions in America, researchers found that a third of Americans approve of pornography, profanity, and drunkenness. So it doesn't take a whole lot of calculation to see where things are trending. The reality is that darkness is increasing. Both in the object of existence of evil in the world and even in how we assess the reality of moral right and wrong and good and evil. Things that are positive for society and things that are negative for society. And outside of the church, what you find is the great lie, which says this. The great lie says, yeah, things aren't a problem, right? These things aren't problems. War, poverty, murder, depression. These things are unfortunate occurrences in the world, we hear. And the answer they give is that, you know what we need? We just need a little bit more time, a little bit more belief in human positive ability, a little more reason, a little bit more education, and then we can solve these problems. We can overcome the darkness in the world. We can deal with the problems of crime and poverty and disease and depression because all we really need is just a little bit more positive ability. We can erase all these things from the world with more time, more education, more positive reinforcement. And honestly, when you hear that on the surface, that makes for a compelling narrative because I think most of us, by and large, we want all those things to go away. We don't want those things to exist. We want there to be less of this in our world. But here's the problem with that. Here's the problem. Those around us in society fail to see that darkness is more than an external problem. Darkness is more than an external problem. In other words, they fail to reckon with the complexity of darkness. Uh, secular enlightenment philosophy would divide the world into good people and bad people. And it says, let's try to fix the bad people. But that's not how it is at all. It's a misreading of the problem. It fails to reckon with the complexity of darkness. The reality that darkness is not merely external to us, it's also inside of us. Darkness is not just out there. Darkness is not just the Wayne Gacy's and the Jeffrey Dahmer's and the Ariel Castro's of the world. Darkness is inside of us. It's in here. Darkness is not just the people out there. Darkness is me, my twisted motives, my selfish intent, my sin and brokenness. 
You and I cannot solve darkness in the world with a little bit more education and a little bit more social activism and a little bit more money. What we need more than anything is light. We need light from the outside. We need one who is not corrupted, who is not depraved, who is not a participant in darkness. To come from the outside, the darkness, and to step into it, and to solve it, and to defeat it. We are not the answer. So we need light to actually triumph over the darkness, both outside of us and inside of us. So we see the need for the light. Now let's talk about the power of the light. I want you to look again at verse 5 and notice what John is saying about it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Notice that present tense. The light shines, present tense, shines in the darkness. Therefore, the light is obviously more powerful than the darkness for the simple reason that the light is right now shining in the darkness. Present tense, the darkness has not overcome it. The light is shining, and it continues to shine. And so the implication is this. The darkness has sought to overcome the light, continues to seek to overcome the light, but John says it is not capable of overcoming the light. The light shines in the darkness. John is cluing us in here this morning to the power of the light. This is the light that cannot be put out. It's a light that shines despite the reality of darkness, despite the persistence of darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. And then notice in verse 4 now, John is beginning to build out for us what is the power of this light. Why is it that the light has a unique ability to intrinsically shine in the darkness? Because in verse 4 he says, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Notice first of all that phrase, in him. This is a being, this is a person that John is speaking of. This light is a person, and in him this person is, notice, life. And it's an interesting word of choice because it's not the word, uh, it's not the word that we would think of when we think of life in terms of biology. The word John uses here is the Greek word zoe, the word that he uses throughout his writing to speak of divine life, supernatural life, eternal life, the life of God. This person possesses divine life, John says. And that's why the light shines in the darkness and the light has not overcome it. Because the person, this person possesses divine light that cannot and will not be extinguished. So we see the need for the light, the power of the light. Finally, what's the source of the light? Who is this divine being? Who is this one that has in himself life? The life that is the light of men. Well, you're at church and this is Advent. So you probably guessed the answer already, right? It's Jesus. Jesus is the answer. But see, John wants us to understand what it is that we are saying when we say Jesus Christ. Who is this Jesus that John is going to go on to introduce us to and give us a picture of in the rest of his gospel? 
What are we saying when we speak of Jesus Christ? Some of us have this weak and anemic view of Jesus Christ, which is why we can toss off the phrase Jesus Christ as sort of a modifier uh, to a curse and not really feel any conviction about it. Uh, For some of us, we have an innocuous view of Jesus, kind of this innocent view of Jesus. We have this view of Jesus kind of like the baby in the manger, the eight pounds, six ounces, baby Jesus in the golden fleece diaper, right? A sweet little nativity scene figure. And so some of us, we have this innocuous view of Jesus. And when you do, when you do that, you miss the power. You miss the divinity, the authority, and the excellency of who Jesus Christ is. And John, in his introduction, He wants to, you know what he wants to do? He wants to explode your mind and your heart with the majesty of who Jesus is. So in the first four verses, he's just going to come right out of the gates. Like all cards on the table. He's not going to explain. He's not going to build out theological categories. He's just going to blow your mind with what he says. And he is going to say the kind of things that just make you step back and go, what does that even mean? What is he even talking about? Because the rest of his gospel, he's going to build out what it is that he is talking about. So look at what he says in verse 1. In the beginning, what does that sound like? Does that remind you of anything else in the Bible? Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That reference, that allusion is not accidental because John intends to conjure up for you Genesis chapter 1. He intends that if you know your Bible uh, and that you know how Genesis starts, he intends to immediately have you thinking back to Genesis chapter 1. Life had a beginning and God was already present. And so John, he says, in the beginning, in the beginning what? In the beginning was the Word. Notice, was the Word. The Word did not have a beginning. The Word was there in the beginning, John says. The Word didn't start with creation. The Word was there before creation. Scholars have spent all kinds of ink and paper discussing why John uses the language of the Word to speak of Jesus. Why does he call Jesus the Word? What does that even mean? What is he signifying in that? Well, just think about it for a second. What is a Word? Isn't it a a word of self-expression? As a being who is alive and able to perceive and take in sensory data, we have thoughts and feelings, things going on in our minds and in our beings. And if we want to express those things and allow one another to enter into what we're thinking and what we're feeling and what we're perceiving, what do we do? We use our words. We have to express in some way, what's going on in ourselves, don't we? So that others can understand what's going on. A word is the most basic form of self-expression. And even those who don't use words, like someone who might be deaf or blind, they use words through sign language, or there's tools, there's technology for people to express themselves with words, the content of words in different forms, because without words, we cannot express ourselves. And so John says in the text, in the beginning was the Word. In other words, in the beginning, God expressed Himself. 
in a divine person of being. In the beginning was the word, the self-expression of God. So John is going to dive us deep here into the mystery of Trinitarian theology. And this is why the Christian church, despite the mystery of, of it, has always held to the doctrine of the Trinity. Because places like this in the Bible where John seeks to take us into the nature of God, and catch what he says, the Word was with God and the Word was God. Notice how he says both there is a, a withness and there, there is a wasness. He doesn't just say the Word was God. Because he, he doesn't want to confuse the two and just assume that both are exactly the same. But he also doesn't just say that the Word was with God because he doesn't want you to separate the two and assume that they're two distinct beings. What he says is that the Word was with God and the Word was God. There's both a Trinitarian unity, but there's also, at the same time, a plurality. There's a differentiation. The Word was with God and the Word was God. The second person of the Trinity was there in the beginning, John says. So watch what he says in verse 3 now. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that had been made. So catch the interesting propositions here. We would generally say that all things were made by God, but all things were made through the Word. There's an agency. There's a divine creator, and there's also one through whom everything is made and this is once again capturing the dynamics of what we call Trinitarian theology. The reality that God, the divine creator of heaven and earth, made everything but Jesus, the Word. They're together in the work of creation. There's not a single thing that has been made without the presence and the agency of the Word. The second person of the Trinity, the one whom John will tell us later on, became flesh. And dwelt among us. Jesus is God. Jesus is divine. Jesus was there in the beginning with God. He was God. All things that have been made were made through him. And there's not, not anything that was made that he wasn't involved in the making of. John wants us to see, look, your view of Jesus is too small. Your view of Jesus may be weak and anemic. And this time of the year, you drive around and what you see is nativity scenes. Mary, Joseph, baby Jesus in the manger. And that taps into something real and something very true about the incarnation, which is the aspect of humility, the condescension of the Lord Jesus to come as a human being. But what John wants us to see is that that's not all that there is that's happening in the incarnation. What's happening in the incarnation is the eternal God clothing himself in human flesh. So the Lord Jesus is so much more than a baby in a manger. The Lord Jesus is the one who made heaven and earth. The one who was with the Father in the beginning. There's a divine majesty and mystery in the reality of Advent. So we see the need for the light. We see the power of the light. And then we see the source of of the light. The light has come. And this is the good news of Advent. The good news of the gospel is not merely the cross, 
the atoning sacrifice of Jesus, the good news of the gospel includes the reality of the incarnation, that God himself stepped into time and space and history. This is unique among other world religions. There's a lot of religious systems that claim if you follow these practices, if you engage in these truths, if you live this way, then you can have access to God. And then you can enjoy a certain afterlife. Or you can achieve a sort of enlightenment. There's no other religious system that says the God that made the world stepped into the world to become light, to enter the darkness, to defeat the darkness so that those who trust in him could enjoy the light of life. The light has come, and this is good news. One of the themes of Advent is the theme of hope. And I want us to leave this morning, um, what I think John wants to leave you with as he writes these verses is the reality that we have a great hope. For those of us who follow Jesus as his disciples, you have a great hope. You have a great hope because the word who is life is the light of men. For those of us who would call ourselves Jesus' disciples, isn't the reality for us that hope can be a fleeting thing? When we look and we see the reality of the darkness in the world, when we look at ourselves, we see the reality of the darkness, of sin, brokenness, fallenness. Isn't it true that we can lose hope rather, rather easily? Because hope can be fleeting. It's easy to say, maybe this is all just wishful thinking. Maybe we just get together here on Sunday so that we can feel good and, you know, about the absolute lack of purpose that exists in the universe, you know, so that we can comfort ourselves with stories and songs and tales. But in the end, maybe there's no hope. What John is trying to say to you and to me, to each and every one of us this morning, is that no, no, no. Here's your hope. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. If your hope is in the light of human reason, that's not going to be very hopeful. If your hope is in the greatness of human achievement, that's not going to be very hopeful. If your hope is in your own ability to secure a life of comfort and security, to insulate yourself against all risk, that's not going to be very hopeful. If your hope is in the 2024 presidential election, there's been enough history to show that that's a false and fleeting hope. But the good news this morning is that if your hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have a rock-solid foundation and reason to have hope. So if you're struggling with sin this morning, struggling with the darkness that it's in you, recognizing that there's brokenness in you and in your life, that you can't seem to gain control of, here's the good news. I'll say it again. The light has come. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Your hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the light. He has the power to dispel darkness. And as you walk with him in faith and obedience, you can experience the light of life. If this morning you're struggling with the darkness of your circumstances, some of you here watching online, perhaps the reality that things seem hopeless around you right now, perhaps. The good news is in Jesus is life and light. You have a hope that cannot and will not disappoint you. 
even in death. Even in death, none of us will escape that reality, by the way. It's just a matter of when. But your hope is not something that's in this world that's going to secure for you everlasting hope and joy and peace. Your hope, your hope is only in the Lord Jesus Christ who has defeated death. So even the darkness of death cannot destroy the light of life that's in him. The good news for you this morning is that there is a great reason to have hope. If our hope is in the one who is the light, who brings light into our lives because he has light in himself. John, the Apostle John, would beckon us this morning to lay and cast aside any other hope, any other source of peace and joy in life, and to rest anew this morning in the reality that Jesus is the light, that all darkness is dispelled in him, and that there is a day, there is going to be a day when he will return, and he will make right the world and usher his kingdom of joy and peace, and that work starts now as he ushers his kingdom of peace into our hearts. So there's great hope this morning because the light has come. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Well, Jesus, we acknowledge that our hearts are dark, and that's not a popular thing to acknowledge in today's culture, but that's what the Bible says. Our hearts are dark, and and we live in a world of darkness, and we turn on uh, the television, we read the news headlines, and it doesn't take us long to see that we live in a dark world. And so we acknowledge that it's, it's very, very tempting to lose hope. But Lord, I just thank you that in Jesus, we learn that the light has come. Lord, I'd ask that you would refresh us throughout this Advent series with the good news of Jesus coming as the light. Help us to embrace you as the true light. And God, thank you for being our light, the light of the world. We ask all these things for our good and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Our church's mission is to follow God, share his truth, and be examples of the love of Jesus to all. If you would like to know more about us, you can visit our website at www.rittmangrace.org or drop by anytime for one of our in-person Sunday morning worship services. Once again, thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time for another episode of the Rittman Grace Podcast.